It's the 7th of December in the year of our salvation, 2009. We are in the second week of Advent, and this is the Feast of St. Ambrose. You're back with Father Z and another podcast. Today we are going to hear an excerpt from a letter of the great Ambrose of Milan. He writes to a brand new bishop about how to be a bishop. Uh, Then also I have some reflections on winter. We welcome as our guest today St. Ambrose of Milan, who died in 397. St. Ambrose was a titanic figure in the church in Italy in the 4th century. He was the son of an imperial official, and he himself became an important figure in the empire in the administration of the area around Milan. And when the old bishop died, the people there spontaneously cried out, Let Ambrose be bishop! even though he wasn't baptized. And so Ambrose, very rapidly, he rocketed into the Sea of Milan. And it's a good thing that he was a pretty smart guy. He had an incredible mind, and he had perfect knowledge of Greek. And so he was able very quickly to delve into Scripture and learn it well, as well as be able to uh, benefit from the commentaries of the Eastern Fathers, such as Origen. Uh, Ambrose was a gifted orator. He deeply impressed St. Augustine, who was in Milan as the imperial orator. So no slouch he, a very good judge of of, uh, oratory, and he deeply impressed and moved St. Augustine. Ambrose was a mentor to two young emperors, and he was a steadfast defender of the church against very powerful Uh, figures who were Arians and wanted to take over Catholic churches. As a matter of fact, there's a famous scene in which they lock themselves into a church when the uh, troops, the troopers come sent by the Arian empress, uh, they're going to take the place and they lock themselves in and they sing hymns. They're fully expecting that they might die inside, but they, they sing hymns. Uh, Ambrose was a great hymn writer. We still use some of his hymns in the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, The hymns so moved Augustine uh, that he wept. He describes his feelings as he listened to the hymns sung by the people, the hymns that had been written by Ambrose. And when his own mother died, Augustine sang a hymn written by St. Ambrose. Ambrose was a great commenter on scriptures, holy scriptures, along with his hymn writing. And uh, he uh, was also, he's also a key figure in his, from his writings for us to know about uh, many things about the liturgy in Italy during the 4th century. Ambrose was a great catechist as well. He was deeply dedicated to the instruction of converts 
and his writings also give us uh, great insight into how converts were instructed with what we call mystagogical catechesis, that process of catechesis after they are baptized, when they are brought more fully into the mysteries of the faith. Uh, Ambrose uh, exerted a great influence also politically. Some of his battles about the faith were also battles about politics. He got, for example, involved in a controversy over um, a, a pagan altar to victory in the Roman Senate against a fellow named Symmachus. And he brought to heal, as it were, the great emperor Theodosius, who had connived in the massacre of some thousands of people in Thessalonica. Uh, Ambrose denied him Holy Communion, and he brought him to penance and conversion. Uh, would that we could see his good example played out also today in the public square, perhaps in the great capitals of the world. We need to have bishops like Ambrose, who can stand up and correct errant politicians who call themselves Catholics and yet support and promote evil things. Would that we had more Ambroses today. So, without ado, let's turn to a little selection that I have taken from the Office of Readings for today, the Feast of St. Ambrose, in the Liturgia Orarum, Liturgy of the Hours, we have a selection from Letter 2 of Ambrose. Ambrose, we have 91 of Ambrose's letters. And this letter, number 2, we don't know exactly what date it was written, but it was written to a new bishop named Constantius. We don't know what diocese, but it's probably close to Milan. It's very possible that the uh, the man himself had been perhaps a clergy a member of the clergy of Milan because in one point of the letter uh, Ambrose calls him my son which uh, implies a, a close relationship uh, Ambrose uh, would write about the duties and the labors and the qualifications for a bishop uh, more than once uh, near the end of his life he penned a letter uh, letter number 53 to the church of Vercelli. Uh, the old bishop had died and they were looking for a new bishop. And Ambrose describes what sort of fellow uh, a bishop should be, what characteristics they should be looking for. Now keep your ears tuned during this little section for how Ambrose emphasizes uh, how a bishop uh, cannot give what he doesn't have. And uh, what should be the source, therefore, of what a bishop has and what he should give. Uh, keep your ears tuned for that. There's also a theme um, implicit in here of of that self-emptying. Uh, you can't uh, you can't give what you don't have. You should give the right things. So you should empty yourself out and therefore be filled with the right thing. And having been filled up, therefore you then overflow to your flock. And so we have the imagery of water in various forms of water. There's water which is in, in an ocean, which can be turbulent, and then the flowing water of a river. But there's also rain, 
listen to the different ways that Ambrose handles the imagery of water. Notice also uh, the emphasis Ambrose places on the office of the bishop to preach and to teach. So, um, without uh, further ado, also, oh, I forgot, listen to the image of dew. It's not just rain, there's also dew in this. All sorts of different uh, uses of water in this. Ambrose would comment on dew quite a few times in his writings. But now let's listen to a little selection from letter two of St. Ambrose, written to a new bishop, giving him some advice about how to be a bishop. You have entered upon the office of bishop. Sitting at the helm of the church, you pilot the ship against the waves. Take firm hold of the rudder of faith, so that the severe storms of this world cannot disturb you. The sea is mighty and vast, but do not be afraid, for as Scripture says, He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The church of the Lord is built upon the rock of the apostles among so many dangers in the world. It therefore remains unmoved. The church's foundation is unshakable and firm against the assaults of the raging sea. Waves lash at the church, but do not shatter it. Although the elements of this world constantly beat upon the church with crashing sounds, the church possesses the safest harbor of salvation for all in distress. Although the church is tossed about on the sea, it rides easily on rivers, especially those rivers that Scripture speaks of. The rivers have lifted up their voice. These are the rivers flowing from the heart of the man who is given drink by Christ and who receives from the Spirit of God. When these rivers overflow with the grace of the Spirit, they lift up their voice. There is also a stream which flows down on God's saints like a torrent. There is also a rushing river giving joy to the heart that is at peace and makes for peace. Whoever has received from the fullness of this river, like John the Evangelist, like Peter and Paul, lifts up his voice. Just as the apostles lifted up their voices and preached the gospel throughout the world, so those who drink these waters begin to preach the good news of the Lord Jesus. Drink, then, from Christ, so that your voice may also be heard. Store up in your mind the water that is Christ, the water that praises the Lord, Store up water from many sources, the water that rains down from the clouds of prophecy. Whoever gathers water from the mountains and leads it to himself or draws it from the springs is himself a source of dew like the clouds. Fill your soul then with this water, so that your land may not be dry, but watered by your own springs. He who reads much and understands much 
receives his fill. He who is full refreshes others. So scripture says, if the clouds are full, they will pour rain upon the earth. Therefore, let your words be rivers, clean and limpid, so that in your exhortations you may charm the ears of your people, and by the grace of your words win them over to follow your leadership. Let your sermons be full of understanding. Solomon says, The weapons of the understanding are the lips of the wise. And in another place he says, Let your lips be bound with wisdom. That is, let the meaning of your words shine forth. Let understanding blaze out. See that your addresses and expositions do not need to invoke the authority of others, but let your words be their own defense. Let no word escape your lips in vain or be uttered without depth of meaning. Sushepisti munu sacerdotii, et in pupe ecclesiae sedens navem adversus fluctus guernas. Tene clavum fidei, ut et graves huius seculi turbari non possint procelle. Mare quidem manium et spaciosum, sed noli vereri, quia ipse supermaria fundavideam, et superflumina preparavideam. Itaque, non immerito intertot mundi freta ecclesia dominitam quam supra apostolicam edificata petram immobilis manet, et inconcusso adversum impetus sevientis salis perseverat fundamine. Abluitur undis, non quatitur, et licet Frequenter elementa munduhuius magno Elisa resultent fragore, habet tamen quo laborantes excipiat, tutissimum portum salutis. Sed tamen, etsi in mari fluctuat, curit in fluminibus. Et videne in illis fluminibus magnis dequibus dictumst, elevaverunt flumina vocem suam. Sunt enim flumina, quae de ventre eius fluent, qui potum a Christo ac ceperit, et de spiritu dei sumserit. Hec ergo flumina, cum redundant spiritadi gratia, elevant vocem suam. Estet fluvius, qui decurrit in sancto suo sicut torrens, est et fluminis impetus, qui letificat animam pacificam atque tranquillam. Ex huius fluminis plenitudine qui cumque acceperit, sicut Ioannes Evangelista, sicut Petrus Paulus, elevat vocem suam. Et sicut apostoli evangelice predicationis vocem usque in totos vines orbis terarum canoro defunderunt preconio, Ita eriste incipit 
evangelizzare Dominum Jesum. Accibergo a Cristo, ut et tuus sonus exeat, collegea con Christi, ilam que laudat Dominum. Collegea quam de pluribus locis, quam epundunt nubes profetice. Quicumque collegit de montibus aquam, atque ad se trahit vel haurit e fontibus, et ipse rorat sicut nubes, imple ergo gremium mentis tue, uterra tua humescat, et domesticis irigetur fontibus. Ergo, qui multa legit id intelligit, impletur, qui fuerit impletus, alios rigat. Idioque scriptura dicit, si implete fuerint nubes, pluviam in terram effundent. Sint ergo sermones tui proflui, sint puri et dilucidi, ut morali disputatione suavitatem infundas, populorum auribus et gratia verborum tuorum plebem demulceas, ut volens quoducis sequatur. Alloquia tua plena intellectus sint, unde et salomonait arma intellectus labia sapientis, et alibi, labia tua alligata sint sensu, id est pulgeat sermonum tuorum manifestatio intellectus corusset, et alloquium tuum atque tractatus aliena non indigeat assertione, Sed sermo tuus velut armi suis sese ipse tueatur, nec ulum verbum tuum in vanum exeat, et sine sensu prodeat. That was part of letter two of St. Ambrose of Milan. He wrote to a new bishop about his job, what it is that he is now for, that is his people. He is to be a river to his people. Now, I'd like to go back to a point. Um, In the recent debates about the new translation of the Roman Missal, which is being prepared, Uh, Some people raised an objection about the more literal versions that were being produced from the Latin texts for the Roman Missal. And one of the things that a certain figure objected to was the more literal translation of the beginning of the second Eucharistic prayer in which there we find the image of dew, the dew of the Holy Spirit. Um, You will remember the second Eucharistic prayer. We will now hear the beginning of that prayer as you are indeed the Holy One, O Lord. You are the wellspring of all holiness. Therefore, make holy these gifts, we pray. It's said as the priest holds his hands over the the bread and wine in the altar. Therefore make holy these gifts, we pray, by the dew of your Spirit, that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
a little different from the way that you are accustomed to hear the beginning of the second Eucharistic prayer. But Ambrose uh, wrote about dew uh, several times. He, for example, he comments on uh, manna in the desert and how the dew descended and there was bread left, this strange manna. And also um, he describes dew on the fleece in the story of Gideon. So this imagery of dew is very scriptural from the Old Testament. And so it shouldn't really bother us that we should use uh, scriptural images uh, in a close translation of our Latin texts. Our new translation would be quite different in many respects at certain points. But I think, uh, you know, this is very good for us because our translation is going to be a little less condescending. Uh, the translators aren't treating us like idiots who are incapable of handling a little bit of poetry and scriptural imagery. Uh, by sticking to the Latin text more closely in the new translation, we are going to have an opportunity to drill into some of this beautiful imagery and poetry that's part of our deep tradition of prayer as Catholics. We will recover a great deal which has uh, been denied to people for an awful long time. So we have a great deal to look forward to in the new translation. And when people are kind of scratching their heads, maybe about, you know, this dew of the Holy Spirit, uh, remember, we can always turn back to Ambrose, St. Ambrose of Milan. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, I have a podcast uh, dealing with the dew of the Holy Spirit and uh, talked about uh, by St. Ambrose. I think it's podcast number 60. I'm not mistaken, and I have several posts on the blog, wdtprs.com. You can just Google it. Google wdtprs, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra, and also look up Ambrose and Dew, and you'll find some interesting materials. It is winter in the northern hemisphere. The air is very chill. The days are short already, man, getting even shorter. Night falls very quickly now. Uh, the world is going into that long night of the freezing winter in the northern hemisphere. And you can understand why the early Christians uh, made a connection of the coming of the Lord, the Lord's advent uh, with this time of year, both his first coming and, of course, 
his coming at the end of things, when he would come like the rising sun, bringing the return of light and warmth and life back to the earth. Uh, winter, however, has its own beauty. Uh, having grown up in Minnesota, I learned as a child to dress properly and to get outside and uh, skate and play hockey and uh, go about life in the ice and snow. Uh, and so you learn uh, as a Minnesotan that winter can have its own uh, great beauty. Uh, there can be at times a great stillness to the world uh, that happens at no other time of the year, uh, especially, for example, after a heavy snow. There can come a stillness to the world which has its own rewards. And the poet John Clare expresses something of this in a poem uh, some time ago. One of the readers of um, the blog sent me uh, a book of John Clare's poetry, which I drill into upon occasion. And here I discovered a poem called The Winter's Spring. The winter comes. I walk alone. I want no bird to sing. To those who keep their hearts their own, the winter is the spring. No flowers to please, no bees to hum. The coming spring's already come. I never want the Christmas rose to come before its time. The seasons, each as God bestows, are simple and sublime. I love to see the snowstorm hing, tis but the winter garb of spring. I never want the grass to bloom, the snowstorm's best in white. I love to see the tempest come and love its piercing light, the dazzled eyes that love to cling o'er snow-white meadows seize the spring. I love the snow, the crumpling snow that hangs on everything. It covers everything below, like white dove's brooding wing, a landscape to the aching sight, a vast expanse of dazzling light. It is the foliage of the woods that winters bring, the dress, white Easter of the year in bud that makes the winter spring, the frost and snow his posies bring, Nature's white spurts of the spring. And that was a little poem by John Clare. Now, the other day when I was reading around the blogosphere, I found on a blog that I, I visit very often called Laudator Temporis Acti, uh, written by a fellow from my native place in Minnesota, in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Uh, the Laudator, as I sometimes call him, had a wonderful uh, excerpt from a book called An Almanac for Moderns. And it's from the entry on that of December 5th by Donald Colross. Petty, and he talks about winter 
And uh, I'll read this section for you that the uh, Laudator posted on his blog. And at the end of this little excerpt, uh, there is a, a small quotation of a poem. It's a poem by Francis Thompson, uh, taken from his uh, work called The Mistress of Vision, written in 1913. Uh, let's hear this excerpt now from an almanac for moderns for December 5th by Donald Colross Petty. Once again, it treats the advantages of winter. Not a flower now, and scarce a berry. Birds flown south, and insects gone. Leaves all fallen, and the very sap in the trees descended to the roots. Mammals and reptiles stolen away to their winter's rest. Everywhere life in recession, life like a flame turned low. Now, perhaps, is the moment to catch napping the phenomenon life and examine it to discover what it is. For of a brilliant summer day, with the air humming with midges, with every great tree expanding in a full acre of green leaf surface to catch and employ the power of the sun, with mating and birth going on all around us, and the waters bringing forth, and the very earth astir, a man can make little enough of it all. There is too much in summer, too much green, too much spawning, too much profusion of kind and form. But in winter here is the problem in its least common denominators. No ant or bee is abroad to distract with questions of instinct and intelligence. The vine has ceased to grow. No need now to concern ourselves with tropism. The maggot is numb. Touch him how you will. No reflex stirs in him. Life is so still. Almost we are persuaded that we can reduce it to structure and protoplasm. Look up in the brilliance of the winter constellations and behold what structure they too have. Sort out the elements of which life and the home of life are made and test the poet's notion that all things by immortal power, near or far, hiddenly to each other linked are, that thou canst not stir a flower without troubling a star. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made Stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long. Cannot hold him, nor the earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall welcome him. 
that i'm going to wrap up this podcast come and visit us at the blog i mentioned the address earlier wdtprs.com whiskey delta tango papa romeo sierra if that's a little that's a little too hard to remember you can always find fatherzonline.com f-e-t-h-e-r-z online or just google father z that'll bring you pretty quickly to the blog i hope your advent preparation is going well Remember to do a little penance in this time. Advent is still a penitential season, though it's a penance flavored with joy. And if, during your Advent preparation, you would be so kind as to pray for me, as I will for you, I would be very grateful. 